Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hey again, friends. Welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. One more time, this is John Russin. I'm here again with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. It is good to see you, my friend. It really is. Uh, it's it's uh, always a joy to connect and share life. So thanks for the opportunity and oh, privilege. Yeah, life is where it's at. We're going to have a fun time today, Frank. We get to chat about what I believe is your favorite topic. Now, our followers don't know this, listeners don't know this, but we have been friends for more than 30 years. And so I know this is your favorite topic because I hear you say it a lot. We're going to talk about reigning in life from Romans 5, mm. 17. And just a brief update from our last podcast, we began with saying how much of a, a difficult time it was when we first started talking about this stuff. Law, sin, flesh, then it got better, crucified with Christ, receiving grace. We started talking about the battle for our minds. And then last week, we really began this topic, reigning in life. It's a capstone, really the pinnacle of walking with Jesus, how to reign in life. And we left off, if you recall, Frank, with the discussion of John 6, 57. I live of the Father, and you live of me. So my friend, let's pick it up right there. You were in the middle of some comments, so let's go back to that verse. I live of the Father, and you live of me. What's Jesus trying to say here? That's a an amazing thing to begin to ponder because, you know, many times, John, when I'll do a conference or I'm talking to somebody individually, I'll ask them this question. How was Jesus able to do all that he did? And then I'll help them along. I'll say, you know, he walked on water. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He loved his enemies. How was he able to do that? And my goodness, over 90% of the people I ask that question of will say, well, because he was God. And I say, oh, my friend, that's really bad news. And they say, why? I said, because we're called to live the same life he lived. You know, we're not called to walk on water, heal the sick, raise the dead, but we're called to love. We're called to kindness. We're called to compassion. And if he was able to do what he did because he was God, that's not good news for us because we're not God and we'll never be able to live that life. And then you start to think, you know, John, why would God call us to live a life we couldn't live? And so Jesus' words here are so very important because he answers that question. How was he able to do all that he did? He lived from the Father. A lot of the translations say because of and I hate to say this, I don't like undermining English translations, but that's not a very good translation. The little Greek preposition is ek, and it means out of or from. It's a word of source. So the source was his father. And then he adds this wonderful, wonderful proclamation. Now you live out of me. 
In other words, I'm not calling you to live a life that you cannot, you cannot live. I'm calling you to a life that can live. I'm calling you to me. Just as the Father was my source, I want to be your source. And so it's not that we imitate his behavior, but that we imitate his method of dependency on somebody who can accomplish a life of love. And, and boy, that it just takes the burden off. And I just think of those words when Jesus said, my burden is light. Come to me. I'll rest you and give you a life. And, and it's just wonderful. I'm just listening to you talk, my friend. And uh, wow, I got tears in my eyes. I wish you could see. Uh, my thoughts go to the you live of me. And Jesus didn't leave us stranded. Uh, John 6, a few verses before this, he says things like this. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. A few verses later, whoever feeds on my flesh has eternal life. So there's a hint there of an intimacy between a person and the Messiah that leads to eternal life, not just existing forever, but actually having life eternal manifest in them right now. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, you are, and there are some different words used here, aren't there? If anyone eats of the bread, if anyone feeds on my flesh, there are some different words, uh, some different tenses. Can you enlighten us on that? John, it would be a privilege when I, I went through this study years ago and the Holy Spirit just opened my eyes to see these things in the Greek language. I just went, oh my goodness. And I just wanna share with you, John, as as my friend, you know, this is a not a video, it's a verbal. You weren't the only one with tears. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll share why in a minute. The first Greek word used is phago, and it's in the aorist tense. And an aorist tense is a one-time completed action. And so I would use it to say, for example, on December 11th, 1982, I married Janet. That was a one-time event and it is done. And so when Jesus says, if you'll eat of me using Fago in an aorist, he says, you only have to do this once and it sticks and it's a past tense event. So you can enter into life by receiving Jesus. But then a few verses later, as you reminded everybody, he changes the tense who eats of me. And so it becomes a present tense and it's a different word, trogo. And so the idea is if you continue to eat and continue to eat, i.e. continue to receive of Christ, then you will experience the life that you have. And so I use the illustration in communicating this of an IV line. If, if you have to go to the doctor and you end up in the hospital, they put an IV line in once, but then there is this steady drip of life. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's offering not just to give you his life as a one-time event, he's offering you to experience it continuously. 
as you feast on him. And that's where that second word comes in. They're both translated eat, but the second one means feast. It would literally translate crunch and munch. <laughs> <laughs> and I use a cat and a dog. If you've ever seen a cat eat, you know, you say, uh, Felix, come here, come and eat. He looks at you. He says, oh, what are you serving? He comes over. He sniffs it out. And that's exactly how we came to Christ. You know, we searched it out. We, we kind of tested the waters. But the second word is eating the way a dog eats. <laughs> you, know, you only have to call them once. Uh, <laughs> they, they scarf it without even tasting it. And Jesus says, that's what I want you to do with me. I want to be your perpetual life source. And John, the reason I had tears in my own eyes as I was teaching that is because the life of Jesus saves me from me. And, and what I mean by that is now, finally, I can love. I tried to love on batteries for many years and my batteries aren't good enough for my bride and my kids. They need better than that. And so the wonder of wonders is that now I can love with the love of God that lives in and through me. I can be patient with the patience of God that lives in and through me. I can be kind with the kindness of God. And I can be strong with the strength of God. And that's, that's what this message is all about. You said it. Eternal life is not so much a duration. It's a kind of life. It's the very life of God himself in a man. And I don't think Paul ever got over that. And I don't think we should either. No, I, I agree. As you're talking, I'm listening. And this thought comes to my mind that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, while the end goal is important, you know, we, he wants us to be saved. He wants all people to come to repentance. But the focus really day to day is on the process. Are we trusting him? Are we resting in him? How are we doing life? Are we relying on our own resources? Are we relying on him? And as I've thought about that, this old story popped into my mind. Now we've talked about Brother Bill, and Sister Annabelle Gillum many times and the impact they've had on our lives. In Bill Gillum's book, The Lifetime Guarantee, he gave this story that for now, how many decades since I read this book has impacted me. And he summarized it, summarizes it by talking about cooking eggs. Mm. So I'd like to just take a moment and re remind us of how simple uh, this story is, but how clearly it teaches about process and not end result. I'll use an example. Frank and I are camping and Frank likes eggs over easy. So I want to make eggs over easy for my friend. Now they're hard. If you've made, if you've made eggs over easy, you know, they're not the easiest thing. So I've been to cooking school. I take out my cooking book. I follow every instruction. I'm ready to go. But before I do, I pray this prayer. Dear God, please help me. If I make any mistakes, please fill in all the blanks. And so I cook the eggs and what happens? Bang. I break one. Now, if I focused on the result, uh, I had a failure. But if I focused on the methods, even though I prayed, 
I had a failure too because I relied on myself first. God was my backup plan, my plan B, not my only plan, my plan A. So I got an F for method. So the next morning, I decided I want to make Frank some eggs again. Uh, I make them. And this time I say, Jesus, my friend Frank is so dear to me. I want to make him eggs just the way he likes it. Please, sir, join with me and let's cook these eggs together with Frank. I trust you to cook these eggs together with me. So I invite Jesus in. I trust him. I cake the eggs. Bang. I break one. Now, is the result a failure or successful? The result is a failure. I broke the egg. But my method is successful because I trusted on my father. And one more time, if I'm cooking eggs, uh, I invite Jesus to cook the eggs with me, through me, and the eggs turn out perfectly. The result, successful. The method is successful. And that's the thing I'm trying to get to. The method is what counts. It's more about the process, the method, than the result. And I know that's a very simple story, but I have seen that played out so many times in my own life as the hard driver I am in my flesh, I focus on the result, ignoring the casualties and the people who may be on the wayside as I plow ahead toward the result I want to have. And I miss the journey. I miss the process. Does that sound familiar, my friend? Yeah. And I think, John, you know, the reason we miss the journey is because we miss the person we're supposed to be journeying with. You know, that's the whole point of your story. And I think what happens in our culture here in America is we are so fiercely independent as Americans. You know, we have a constitution, a bill of rights, a declaration of independence. And we're very much hard chargers, performers, get it done people. And we can very easily translate that right over into our journey with Jesus. And he becomes kind of a, like you said, a plan B, a rescue when I'm not able to pull it off. And that's not what he wants. He wants to share his life with us. And he wants us to share his life with him. And that's the supreme goal. And I think what happens in America sometimes is, you know, we look at the result instead of the journey. And, you know, if we were to do that, we could very easily look at Jesus and say, boy, he really failed uh, because, you know, he had 11 people at the end and, and they ran off like scared rabbits. And you could look at people like in Hebrews 11 who trusted God but they were sawn in half and, and persecuted and stoned. And a lot of times I run into people, the first thing they want to say is, what were they doing wrong? Well, they weren't doing anything wrong. Maybe nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, they were trusting Jesus. And that's our supreme issue. Colossians 2.6 is a very, very neglected verse. As you have received him, so walk in, in him. We received him by grace through faith. We're supposed to walk in grace, in faith. And so it's a hand-in-hand -hand journey. And God says, boy, if you do that, that is success. That is grade A. You're living the way I wanted you to live. You're functioning as the John expression of my life. 
and Frank is functioning as the Frank expression of my life. And it doesn't look the same. It looks very different, but the same life accomplished by the same method, the method of faith. Wonderful. You know, you and I both have hit on this word, uh, journey, story, method. And uh, I will share a little bit with our listeners now. In the next series, we're going to be unpacking some of our personal stories. So you'll get to hear every flub, every fluff we've made, every mistake, <laughs> uh, not only in our own personal journeys, but uh, how we came to know Christ as life and how we as joint elders have, have worked together to implement that in a church. So stay tuned and as the weeks unfold, we'll get to unpack that a little bit more. I do want to spend a little time, my friend, talking about a verse that is uh, something that addresses a bugaboo that I have, a personal bugaboo. And I hear this a lot. It's John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. I see this a lot, my friend, in Christian circles. There's such an intense focus on scripture, memorizing scripture, studying scripture, pouring over scripture. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But oftentimes, this focus on scripture is almost at the expense of the focus on Jesus, the focus on life. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. Had a conversation a year or so with a, a lady. And we were talking about this very subject. And she's of the opinion that all of life's answers can be found in scripture. So I described a situation that I had just learned about that day. A young mom was wrestling with a very difficult question, in vitro fertilization. Now, scripture is quiet on that. And I know lots of people have lots of opinions and lots of answers, but scripture is quiet. So I asked her the question, based on scripture, what should this young woman do? And of course, she didn't like my question. <laughs> she didn't <laughs> like my answer. And she immediately started throwing, well, you know, what's right, what's wrong. But the point is that we can get so focused on the written word that we lose sight of the living word. Uh, mm. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in so many places. And it's, it, it's, it's almost like the, the written word is the goal and the living word is the process. And once again, we're skipping out on the journey, the process. Mm. It almost borders on what I would call Bibleolatry, you know, where we make an idol of the Bible. Now, I love the Bible. I'm studying the Bible. I teach the Bible. But I think what happens in a lot of those people's lives, they're still tied into that lie of the garden that I shall be like God. And so if I'm going to be like God, I've got to be right. And so I use the Bible as a tool to exalt myself and beat other people up with it. And that is a tragic thing to do with this book. Perhaps the best definition I ever heard of this was from a mutual friend that we have named Malcolm Smith. And Malcolm put it this way, the Bible is a menu. What a wonderful thing to have, but it has a purpose. And the menu points to the wonderful meal. And I think he captured the essence of what the scriptures are all about with that verse you read. Uh, 
if our Bible study and memorization does not lead us to the experience of Jesus, we are not using the Bible correctly. It, he is the meal that this wonderful menu tells us about. I mean, we don't eat the menu. Uh, we don't read the menu and then tip the waiter and leave. We order the meal. And I, I think Malcolm did a great illustration there, John. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. And as I think about it, I've done so much traveling in my life over the years. I tend to look at scriptures as almost like signposts. You know, they point to a destination. They might even tell you the distance, how far it is. But the signposts don't give you any indication of what the journey is like. Mm -hmm. Is it uphill? Is it downhill? They don't describe the path. And the path is where the life, the journey is carried out. That's where our shoes meet the ground and we meet our Savior Jesus in everyday experience. Mm. Yeah, years ago at Quail Ridge, and you were there, you remember this, now called Grace Life Fellowship. After a Sunday morning, I found a Sunday school lesson. And it had a picture of an astronaut and his backpack, which was providing him oxygen, said, Holy Bible. Now, I know the intent of those dear Christian publishers was to try to lead people, little kids, to understand how important the Bible is. But they were communicating a lie. That picture should have had Jesus on the backpack. And they should have been holding a Bible in their hands, which is exactly what John 5 is, is saying. Those scriptures do not give us eternal life. Life can only be received by someone who is life. Life begets life. And Christ is our life. And it takes a child, a trusting, naive little child, to admit they don't know everything, but just to cling to and trust their savior. And you said something many years ago, my friend, that has stuck with me. You said this. Again, I'm, I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed. You said Jesus was a supreme child in a kingdom of children, mm. depending completely on his father for everything about his life. Now we talked last time that when you change your mindset from achieving to receiving, you have to change your focus and start looking to someone else to give you what you need. Our Jesus did that. So from the creator of the universe, he became, so to speak, as a child because he was totally dependent on another for everything about his life. Yeah, I put it this way, John. In our world that we live in, we're born as a child and we grow into adulthood. If we function as adults with God, we will miss God. So when we enter into the Christian faith, we have to grow down from adult back to child. And that's a very difficult thing to do because it involves saying no to all of your personal assets that you were using to live independent of God. The easiest thing in the world is for a child to be a child. The most difficult thing in the world is for an adult to function as a child. And the person I would point to is, is Abraham. 
you know, he, he functioned very independently in those early years, putting forth his wife so that he, as a mistress, so that he could avoid persecution. And, you know, he made a lot of mistakes, but when that promised child was a young man and he was 120 years old, God said, take that boy up and put him, him on an altar and slay him. And it's amazing, John, you read the text. He doesn't argue. You know, he doesn't say, wait a minute, you told Noah not to kill. Uh, he doesn't do any of that. He simply obeys like a child. And I would say it took him 120 years to become a child. And I just pray it doesn't take us that long. <laughs> yeah. Some of us are pretty far away. Yeah. Uh, you know, as, as you're talking about this, the thought of being a child is just so incredibly foreign uh, because every aspect of our lives demands us to be adults. Mm -hmm. You know, our adults in our uh, marital relationships, adults with our children, adults with our job, adults in society. But it's so easy to have that adulting mindset step in and just leak over into our relationship with our father. And we're blind to it so much. Mm -hmm. I can't help thinking about uh, Psalms 139. And this is just such a riveting verse. I come back to it uh, as an answer to so many struggles in my life. Search me, O oh God. And, and take a look at my heart, know my heart, know my thoughts. And Father, if there's any grievous thing, if there's a wicked thing in me, if I'm acting like an adult instead of a dependent child, then change me, sir. Lead me in the way of trust. Lead me in the way of understanding. Because as Paul told us in Ephesians, that understanding this really is a revelation. You're not going to come about it just with your own brain. It has to be revealed to you. And so I pray that, pray that prayer often because, frankly, I don't know, Frank, what I don't know. Mm -hmm. And so I need somebody on the outside. I need someone to tell me when I am not living as a child. Mm. You know, John, as I'm listening to you, these thoughts popped into my head. A child's world is a very simple world their parents take care of them. They don't have to worry about paying the rent. They don't have to worry about insurance. They don't have to worry about budget and food and electric bill and all of that. It's very simple world for a child. My mommy and my daddy take care of that. The adult world is a very complex world because there's nobody around anymore. You got to do that for yourself. And so, I think that demonstrates the necessity of Jesus' words. You've got to become like a child. And I think of the Corinthian letter, you know, when Paul said, be careful, don't ever lose the simplicity of Jesus. You know, John, I know our time's winding down. Maybe I could just share this story and, and then turn it over to you and you can wrap it up. Back in the 1950s, there was an international conference on the Bible held in Europe, and all the big theologians were there. Uh, it would be in our modern world like having, you know, John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll, Jack Hayford, you know, Ravi Zacharias, all these people there. So incredible, incredible opportunity. 
And the story is told that on the final day, they opened it up to question and answer. And one gentleman asked a guy named Dr. Carl Barth, who was a brilliant theologian. Uh, I don't think we'd agree with everything he said, but the man loved Jesus. And this guy asked this question. He said, my question is for Dr. Bart. Dr. Bart, what is the greatest theological thought you've ever had? And my goodness, John, when you hear that question, you know, what would he, would he talk about the fall of man? Would he talk about the decision before the world began to send Jesus? You know, all these incredible lofty thoughts. And Dr. Bart did not bat an eye. He instantly said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That brilliant, brilliant adult mind said, I'm a child with my Jesus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. You know, dear listeners, Frank and I, we're learning to walk. We struggle. We're learning to trust. So I want to finish up by praying for Frank and for me and for all of you out there. And I want to pray that prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers in chapter one. Father, I pray for wisdom and revelation from you, sir. I pray that our eyes would be open, that we would understand what exactly you did for us when you put us in the kingdom when you crucified us in Christ, when you raised us up again and you gave us life and you gave us your mind. Sir, please show us what that means so that we can more readily and more quickly choose to trust you as, and I mean this with all due respect, as our daddy. Mm -hmm. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for this time. And dear friends, thanks for joining us again on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Don't forget to check us out on our website, ourresolutehope.com, and follow us on our social media platforms. And remember, always choose hope, choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you in you and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.